It is Monday, December 5th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 13 Recap Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaub, but missing today is Adam Krautwurst. He's off gallivanting around the Florida Keys, but I've got his partner from the deep end and one of the biggest voices in Western New York sports talk, Mike Shope. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Big shoes. I should have a backwards hat, you know, maybe going with that lobster roll backdrop, something else to uh, pay tribute to Adam, who's on vacation. What's that, what's that like? I just like I like to make sure that whoever my co-host is, there's a beard involved. And what what is it about taking a vacation right now? Is it just that he needs to unwind from the $90,000 he has invested in leagues <laughs> at this point in the year? Maybe. I think it was available to him. I think that might be all that matters. He, he had a chance to get away with his wife, so good for him. Um, uh, you know, he, we were texting yesterday from the airport and today again about George Pickens and different things that worked and didn't work last week. He has a team in the football guys. I'm in the playoffs and he is too. We've not, we didn't play each other and he has Garoppolo, Kittle and Ayuk, and he put up 189. Wow. That's pretty good. So <laughs> I know he's tracking all that stuff where whatever beach he's in or on. Oh. Of course. It's nice to be able to have that stuff in your pocket. And speaking of tracking stuff, we're going to be going through the NFL games of yesterday. But before we get to that, you and I have a key showdown raging in the Football Guys Players Championship on my FFPC.com. It's league playoff week there and in FFPC main event leagues. Neither of my main event leagues made it to that point. So this is a focal point for me in addition to the dynasty stuff. And fortunately, despite having Trevor Lawrence as my quarterback here, I did decide to play him over Lamar Jackson, which is fortuitous at this point. Despite having him, though, in a disappointing week, I'm up by 19. I can't say that I feel great about my chances, though, Mike, with you having Rashad White, Chris Olave to go tonight. And, you know, like I said, just that 19 point PPR lead. If I go by DS projections, I'm going to lose 24.7 combined PPR points for those two guys. Yeah, it probably will be close. 17.5 gets me there, I think, is the number. Um, the, the key is Fournette, right, Matt? Like, if if Fournette plays a regular workload, Rashad White could really bust. I mean, he was playing with Fournette, but still, like, that could happen. And who knows with Andy Dalton teams, you know, at the Bucs, prime time. I'm not really confident. You, you can't be. You, you can't be. But Olave has been pretty solid, and White's been really good. Uh, it's nice that we have today to talk because I think if I get you having had the Browns defense and you having Waddle, you might not talk to me again after tonight. Yeah, it's good that it's today and not tomorrow. I don't think I would no. be consolable at that point. Um, I, I have Leonard Fournette actually in another money league going up against a team that has Rashad White as his only player. I'm down 13. It's a far smaller entry fee. So this is the one I care about more. But obviously, in either case, if I can get a Leonard Fournette heavy game and a light Rashad White game, that would be ideal for me. And like the way things have happened the past few weeks, I think we're all expecting Rashad White to at least get a split here, start the game. But it's important to remember, we have one game where Rashad White started and was working ahead of Leonard Fournette. And even in that game, they were working pretty evenly before Leonard Fournette's hip injury. So, you know, it, it seems like from that game and from the words of Byron Leftwich since then that the Bucks have been wanting to give Rashad White more and we should expect there to be more Rashad White in this game. But we haven't seen it yet. We were also expecting that Jeff Wilson Jr. was the favorite running back for the Dolphins right now. And that completely flipped yesterday with Raheem Mostert, which we'll get to in a few minutes. So I think, you know, it doesn't matter to people listening or watching for these particular players. But it's important, I think, just for keeping in mind 
what is a pattern, what we can really bet on, and what is really just a very small sample and we need to be careful about. Yeah, it's so right. Like I'm thinking I'm so I'm the Rashad White side and maybe not everybody, but I think human nature is sort of like, all right, well, how will this go wrong? You know, like, and that's, that's a good way to think as a fantasy player anyway, sort of, okay, well, I love this, but it could go wrong. And how would that happen? And what do I need to do to cover myself in in this? Like, what would, what, what narratives work here? Like that the Bucs could want to reestablish Fournette, you know, he's a big part of their core and he's been out and they're struggling. So here's an opportunity for him to, uh, you know, reassert himself. And that would be something that they'd love to be able to talk about after this game, unless white is undeniable. I don't think he is. I mean, I think he's good. He's been interesting this year, but he didn't really have great efficiency. Um, now they have the volume when Fournette is missing and we love him for that. But so I don't think he's undeniable. I do like for my chances that it's, white with Olave, like the kind of game where New Orleans struggles. They were shut out last week. Maybe that lends itself to a more conservative, run-oriented Bucks team. That's usually not how they want to play, though. And if New Orleans hits offensively, that's probably Olave. I mean, they're so limited. So um, I like my my combination for our chances. I, I, a part of me wants to see a win because in this, <laughs> in this format – you know, you can qualify for the sprint in the regular season, which I did, and you you really could have. Like, just a couple of bad breaks cost you that, and you need this win to be able to do that. So, I don't know. I can't say I'm rooting for you, but I, <laughs> I think you kind of deserve it. If you said you were rooting for me, I would know that you were lying, so I appreciate yeah, right. you not going that far. Right. So, I, I, I'm glad that I can help set it up as kind of a win-win for you. The, the other thing you remember on the Bucks side, too, is that when we did see them split, it was the most run heavy game of the year for the Bucks. So overall, they've been much more pass heavy. And, you know, the other thing that could go Fournette's way is maybe they do split. Maybe Rashad White gets more. Maybe Leonard Fournette is the lucky guy near the goal line. We'll see. The other part that I'm kind of, I don't know, clinging to for hope is both of these offenses are playing much worse than we expected them to. So it, this could just be an ugly game, which is kind of what I'm hoping for, for what I need from all these guys. Ugly game, Leonard Fournette hammers in two touchdowns on his 21 yards rushing. Um, and, you know, I, I get a little bit of money for the holidays. Before we move on from it, just quickly, I have a main event team with Louis G that is in the semis, and our team trails by .3. <laughs> we have Godwin. They have Camara, And we have Olave on the bench. Is there any way – I don't want to, and I don't think you would recommend it, but because I have the option, I want to make sure I think it through. Is there any way you would switch from Godwin to Olave? I would not. And it's because it looks like Marshawn Lattimore is going to play for the Saints. He has owned Mike Evans in their matchup. So it should be a Chris Godwin friendly game. So I think regardless of what's on the other side, it should be a good volume outing for Chris Godwin. Do you like Kamara at all tonight in general? I want to, but he has basically one really good game this year. So like is is the wrong word, but he certainly has receiving upside. I, I wouldn't bet on the rushing at this point, but he certainly has target upside if the Saints decide to go in that direction. He did Ooh. okay in that area last week. I have another team with Kamara, so I'm split. But if this, for that other game's purposes, if this turns out to be, and it's happened so many times with the Saints, like where they're down the Arizona game, where they're down like 20 points or even like 10 points, late third quarter on and just every other play is a short pass to Alvin Kamara. I'm just going to lose it. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that's part of his value. That happens, but um, I don't know. It'd be a tough way to lose. 
Welcome to the high volume fantasy play where somebody is helping and hurting you in every single game. I, it's funny. This is the time of year where, you know, where families around more, where we've got more people around when football's on TV and somebody inevitably is like, Hey Matt, you got anybody in this game on your fantasy team? Like, yes, yes. I have somebody <laughs> in this game on my team. I have somebody in this game playing against me. I honestly don't know who I care about more because I, at this point, I prefer to not get too deep into exactly what I need that given week, because then it just makes the whole game less enjoyable for me. I'd rather check back at the end and be like, ah, I was so close for that. Or thank goodness that guy went off just because there are so many different guys in play. And, you know, you throw in the people that you recommend during the week, which a lot of times bugs me even more when I tell somebody this guy over that guy and it doesn't work out. Even if I have a good week, I'm like, ah, I can't believe I told that guy, that quarterback. Yeah, that, that might even hurt more when you've given advice to other people professionally. But I haven't matured to the level of being able to put my phone down on Sunday afternoon. Like yesterday was a day for it. The bills were off, so I wasn't working. Uh, but I just like every I went to, I went to a place where I could see every game, every minute of every game, every play, at least for the early game. So hopefully that helps me have this show with you today because there was no game yesterday that I didn't watch. Do you play these at all like Adam where you're hedging players that you're going against this week? Because I know he would he would be all about hedging Chris Olave and Rashad White on the other side of our matchup if he were sitting in my seat. You mean in terms of prop betting? Yeah, betting the overs on the two guys that I'm hoping are going to go under. Yeah, I mean, I don't there's nothing nothing wrong with doing that. I never think to do it. I, I never I, I don't spend enough time on prop bets to sort of you're not enough of a degenerate yet that it's just automatic (laughs) i guess i I guess that's right i mean i i could find time for that just within my fantasy time because i spend too much of my fantasy time reading rereading lineups and rethinking the same things like really i could be more disciplined and structured about that um so that could happen for me someday and it wouldn't cut into other parts of my life which i really can't afford to have fantasy football do anymore I don't have any other parts of my life that can afford to have, you know, be sacrificed or compromised any further. <laughs> I do think that I could stand to do a little bit more hedging uh, just in, you know, in, in best ball drafting and all that. So I'll be looking at underdog pickums tonight. I'll be looking at sleeper over unders. I was looking at them before this show. We've got a lot of the yardage lines are lower for guys on sleeper than underdog. And by the way, if you're looking to play either of those, like if you are trying to hedge on somebody tonight, or if you're just done for this week and you need a reason to like saints Buccaneers, you can go to either of those. You can click on the links for either underdog or sleeper play at the bottom of this podcast. You'll get your full deposit matched with the promo code draft sharks. Um, I like playing them there. Like I said, the yardage lines are a little bit lower on sleepers. So if you're looking to play some overs, maybe go to sleeper over underdog. If you're looking to play unders, maybe a feature underdog. I was interested to see too, that neither of those has lines on the Buccaneers running backs, either one. So I'm curious to see if those get added throughout the day, but I thought it was interesting. They don't list either Rashad white or Leonard Fournette right now. I guess that's just got to be the uncertainty over Fournette's status, right, Matt? I mean, if, they want to know for sure if he's going to play or maybe as we get through the day, Adam Schefter will report it or something. And that will, that will suffice. I'll try to look really quick here uh, to see if like one of my betting sites has a, has a prop bet on those, those guys. Yeah, uh, but, questionable. Of course, we're talking about Fournette, like he's definitely going to play. He did practice in full all week, but it is officially questionable. So there is still a chance. I'm certainly, obviously, as I talked about <laughs> hoping strongly that he plays in this game. So at BetMGM, rushing yards, Rashad White, 39 and a half. 
minus 120. Fournette, 37 and a half. All right. Uh, minus 110. To score a touchdown, Fournette plus 125. White minus 125. White's the favorite between both teams to score a touchdown. Then it goes Fournette, Evans, Kamara, Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy. Plus 150 <laughs> is all you get for Taysom Hill touchdowns. Right. <laughs> Because I, I'd be scared to bet against Taysom Hill in that area if I were the sports book as well. That's um, Jawan Johnson being out probably a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, does it even make that much of a difference <laughs> for him? Because he, he hasn't seen more than two targets in a game, so he's not really a tight end. So right. it probably ha- that probably helps Adam Troutman a little bit more than Jawan Johnson. But we should probably move on from Buck Saints because most people, I think, listening or watching do not have as much of a pony in that race they did, however, get impacted by everything Sunday. And really, before we get to the Sunday games, Mike, since I have you and you are a closer Bills observer than I am, and at least as close as Adam, well, maybe not as close as Adam, but <laughs> on the same plane as Adam, we got the James Cook breakout Thursday night. So I want to ask you, was it a breakout or was it a game that just happened to go James Cook's way and it could still just as easily be Devin Singletary in week 14? In between for me. So they trust him enough. And then it happened in Detroit, I think, also. It might have been the Browns game in Detroit. Like You've been seeing the Bills trust Cook more. And so he, he got the touches in that New England game to sort of prove that. I don't see him replacing Singletary or necessarily, you know, increasing any more volume from here. I think Singletary still has an important role. He's still their starter. He was good in that game, too. Uh, against the Patriots. So I I think now they have an opportunity now, if they want to s- try to surprise by how they use their running backs to whatever extent that matters in a game. But I think cook has done well to get to this point. He might be startable in certain situations, but I don't expect him to sort of, you know, suppress Singletary much further, if at all. Yeah. I mean, it's worth remembering. He flashed in that game. He had the bigger yardage than Singletary, but they were still even in playing time. He edged Singletary by one carry. Singletary did get the rushing touchdown six to two in targets for James Cook. So I agree. They're both kind of in that usable range, but it's, it's a range where it's tough to bet strongly on one over the other. If you were choosing, let's say you're looking at, you know, RB 28 to 30 range. Are you playing James Cook over Devin Singletary against the Jets in week 14? Probably not. Uh, Singletary last year, last five, six games of the regular season. I mean, this is probably mostly luck, but got in the end zone more than a, one touchdown a game clip. So um, maybe there's a correlation with whether the Bills are in the very much the same position, even though the division's better. And until last night, they were not the one seed. Right now, they're they're actually in a better position in the standings, in the conference standings than they were a year ago. And they have a better record. Last year, they were seven and five after 12 games. So um, maybe, you know, we've seen him do it the last three weeks, more of an emphasis on the running game. And I, again, I think that will include Singletary. You know, you have Allen around the red zone and Allen's rushing has diminished after his elbow injury. So um, maybe that's also not even as big of an obstacle for whoever uh, of the running backs to get in. But I still think I'd probably go Singletary first. They're a 10 point favorite against the Jets. So a little bit less in the way of of passes to running backs here, but it's close. 
Yeah, they're a favorite here. It's a defense that has been tough against the past, so maybe it's more volume for both guys. They're both usable to some degree. We'll see where they settle out in our Week 14 rankings, which will be coming out midday tomorrow. For now, we'll move to the Sunday action. We'll start with Steelers-Falcons only because we have to, not because anybody really likes it. Najee Harris, though, another good rushing game in that one. You know, predictable because of the opponent, but nice for him through Week 9, uh, I'm sorry, before the week nine by 3.3 yards per carry for Harris since then 4.6 yards per rush in four games. He looked questionable leading up to the game, had the abdominal injury. We were wondering if it was going to be Jalen Warren week. And then it flipped where Warren was the questionable one barely played in this game. Um, so Najee Harris good here. The issue is still losing the receiving stuff. Warren did play. He and Benny Snell had almost as many routes as Najee Harris, who ran a route on just 45% of dropbacks. So it's nice. And the matchups upcoming are okay for the rushing. The receiving still keeps you from getting excited about Najee Harris's turnaround, though, I think. That's right. Um, where we were before this last injury that he suffered last week was, you know, a mediocre play. And we don't have the injury concern right now. It's been interesting, like twice this year with Harris, like Jacobs recently, where you don't know if they're going to play. And then, oh, no, we are. And they play and they pretty much have their usual workload. But it's a team without a high ceiling. And um, he's kind of, for me, the guy we've been talking about most of the year, which the offense is different than last year. And just we're sort of, you know, not not in a happy place having drafted Harris. But um he does. He does show. I, I guess this week, the uh, the durability that the team would want and that you would want, so you can maybe have more confidence in his, you know, playing and playing a big workload week to week. Deontay Johnson in this game, Matt, again with the drops. I hate that because it becomes this this thing that so many people think is just like a bigger deal than it maybe is. But we had this with him last year, and now we have. Maybe you saw it, George Pickens screaming get me the effing ball after Johnson had a fumble late it was overturned but nonetheless I don't think you really want to see that he's maybe like last week this happened and maybe he's right that they should do more of that uh and Johnson can't get in the end zone either so it's a frustrating fantasy day for the Steelers they got the win but Pickens was a dud you know Johnson a little bit but you really you don't love it and then Harris as you said just okay I mean, based on what I knew about George Pickens coming into the league, I feel like it's less surprising that we got that moment from him than it would have been if he was actually delivering big fantasy numbers in his situation this year. I I, I agree with the frustrations here. I think the takeaways are Najee Harris is usable. You got the Panthers next, got the Raiders after that. So he's he's probably at the bottom of RB2 range for those, especially given that the Panthers game, I'm sorry, the, the Baltimore game is up next. Right. Um, so that I think is one that's going to find him probably even outside the top 24 running back, uh, even in a six team bye week. But we'll see just how picked over running back is. At wide receiver, Dante John Deontay Johnson and George Pickens tend to settle close to each other in our rankings, but it probably shouldn't be the case because Pickens was nearly invisible yesterday. It's not usually that bad, but in 12 games this year, he's got eight with three catches or fewer. He has one game with four catches. He has three with six catches. And all three of those came before the chase Claypool trade. So George Pickens, besides being, you know, nice to look at when he's playing football, hasn't really given us a reason to be trusting him in fantasy lineups. Yeah. Trusting. You put it that way. That's definitely correct. Uh, you have had spectacular plays, with Pickens that, you know, fuel the the hype train. 
And in this game yesterday, it was kind of just like unfriendly to fantasy if you had Steelers, because at least the receivers, because they had the lead. You know, you're playing an Atlanta team that isn't really going to test you throwing the ball either. So you could play it safer. They didn't need them. Think of the game against the Bengals. They might have lost that game 37 30 a few weeks back. And there, like, that was a spot where Pickens did put a day up and he dropped a 50 yard touchdown pass as well. Baltimore Pittsburgh games don't tend to be like that. I'm pretty sure they've all been 16 15 every single time they've ever played. And they play twice in the next four weeks. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe Pickens will not have quite the the buzz this week, especially after what happened yesterday. That's going to be even uglier with no Lamar Jackson likely involved. Not that Lamar Jackson game has been pretty lately. Deontay Johnson probably still doesn't have a touchdown catch on the season. He's sitting 15th in expected PPR points per game among wide receivers, 49th in actual PPR points. So like I said, he's scoring near Pickens, but nowhere near Pickens and what we should expect from what he's getting and double the expected touchdowns. So Deontay Johnson, if I need one of those guys, I'm playing him, but he obviously sits much lower than he should based on the usage. And on the Atlanta side, Drake London's been somebody that frustrated us for a while until we were like, okay, it's time to give up on Drake London. And then last week came last week, yesterday came back 50% target share, 12 targets in that game, six catches, 95 yards. So now the question for anybody who's been hanging on to Drake London is, can I use him after the week 14 buy, or should I ignore what just happened? It's risky. I used them three times in three spots yesterday, and I was very happy to get what I guess 15 and a half points you said. So, um, I mean, I, you talk about trusting that is not a team whose receivers I want to be able to trust or feel like I can trust, but he's good and rookies get better. I mean, whether it's London or the Traylon Burks path this year, I know he was injured. Of course, Christian Watson quintessentially, you know, you do, see that growth sometimes. Atlanta also may end up making a quarterback change here, which I think probably wouldn't be bad for him. You know, London is one of these guys like Pickens, maybe even like Deontay Johnson, who you sometimes feel like you have to play. There is a, there is the potential for a high ceiling, but it's unlikely. Yeah, I hope that there's a QB change here, not because Desmond Ritter, I think, is necessarily better than Marcus Mariota, but it's different. And we've had a lot of weeks to know what things are going to look like with Mariota so far. And it's going to be a whole lot of running and conservative passing. He's even like he conceded that about himself, about the way he was playing when when talking about Kyle Pitts a few weeks ago. So at the very least, a shift gives us, you know, some chance of more downfield passing, taking more chances with Drake London. It would be easier for me to believe that things were trending up or had the potential to trend up, but he started the season hot. 5.3 catches, 71.3 yards, 0.7 touchdowns per game through the first three. Since then, and before yesterday's game, he had been averaging 2.8 receptions, 24.9 yards, and two-tenths of a touchdown. So the targets had been disappointing. The playing time had still been there. I, I, I don't trust the situation or the amount of passing that we get. I'm glad that we get a bye week to kind of mellow out and assess things, see if Atlanta changes anything, see if Arthur Smith says anything. Overall, though, I think that it's Drake London's probably going to be in that like wide receiver 35 to 40 range for me come week 15. You mentioned the target share at least yesterday. That was promising. You didn't have a you had Zacchaeus for five targets and nobody else over maybe two or at least three. So um at other times this year, that's been divvied up differently, promising for him on that front. And hopefully uh, it just improves. They are, they are off this week, as you said. 
Also worth noting that Pittsburgh's been a positive matchup for wide receivers. No defense had allowed more fantasy points to wide receivers before yesterday. New Orleans, Baltimore, the next two matchups. They're in the same range if you look at our adjusted fantasy points allowed, but they play less man defense. According to Pro Football Focus, London has been targeted at a higher rate versus man than zone. So, you know, it's a couple games where it might not go his way quite so much, especially if Marshawn Lattimore is back all the way back for the Saints in that game. The other big um, takeaway for me from this game was Cordero Patterson, who last week we were like, oh, his targets are back now that Kyle Pitts is out this week. Targets dissipated once again. So Cordero Zero. Patterson, do not count on him getting thrown to. Yeah, that's tough. Atlanta, in many ways this year, has been a real headache. And that's another one, right? Like, who wouldn't, who understands his talent and wouldn't want to throw him the ball at all in a game you're losing? Like, just, it's it's every week with the Falcons. And at some point like this. So, very frustrating. Yeah. And it's one of those offenses too, where you don't worry about missing a huge game. So I'd rather lean away from them if possible. There haven't been too many of those games, like at the beginning of the season, Ravens 10 Broncos nine. Speaking of frustrating Lamar Jackson first had the knee injury. The report on it is that it's not season ending, but days, two weeks. Now that sets up to me. Like we should not expect Lamar Jackson to be in the week 14 mix. We'll see about week 15. I feel like Tyler Huntley, might have a little bit more of a positive connotation to his name for fantasy players than he reasonably should not saying he stinks, but he's had, he had five starter level games last year. He had yesterday uh, after Lamar Jackson left very early. Here are his fantasy finishes in those weeks. QB 18, QB 15, QB one for that four touchdown game against the Packers, QB 21, QB 29. And right now he's sitting at QB 15, for this week heading into Monday night, 41 yards rushing and a touchdown on the ground. He's been 40 plus yards on the ground every time, but the passing is not there. No, Andrews is the guy with Huntley last year. It really, it elevated Andrews and man, a lot of us could really uh, use that. So I'm a little bit more excited for him. No, I'm not looking to start Tyler Huntley. He does get the only touchdown of the game yesterday. I just think like the Baltimore running backs, Matt, what an awful year. I mean, it's, it's been, you just, the, the running game is so associated with the Ravens, but it's been near impossible to know what the usage is going to be going back all the way to the beginning of the season, you know, yesterday. Okay. Well, Gus Edwards. Nope. I mean, just like it's really, it's split up. And most, more importantly, it's just so ineffective. It's really hard to understand. And Jackson this year has been, it seems more reluctant to run when the game was on the line, the Jacksonville game, he'll do it. Not that he's healthy right now, so not as relevant, but it's just been a very frustrating team. And they're all they almost always win. Like for any it's it's like a Atlanta is a poor man's Baltimore where we have all these complaints all the time. Why don't they, you know, add wide receivers? Why don't they do this? But they they have led well, they had led by 10 points or more in their first eight games, and they had a nine-point lead last week. Yesterday was different. They're not trending up, but a, just a difficult team. Andrews is the one guy, you know, I want to we all want to go with, we're not taking him out and maybe Huntley uh, sort of saves him, so to speak. It's nice that he's at a position where it's easier to just leave Mark Andrews in there and you're not, you know, at wide receiver, there you could have conceivably other guys that you're comparing him with, but at tight end, you're just leaving Mark Andrews in there. I agree with the backfield. You know, I thought Gus Edwards was just going to be somebody that we could not get excited about, but use um, more often than not on teams where we're not stacked at running back, but he started yesterday's game and then Kenyon Drake worked ahead of him 
as the primary guy over the final three quarters, wound up doubling Gus Edwards playing time in that one. Drake and Hill were working ahead of Edwards in receiving. We had 14 total running back carries in what was a tight game where they lost their starting quarterback. So that's kind of a, a baffling stat to me. Pittsburgh in week 14, a better run D. So I'm just going to avoid this Baltimore backfield for that one and see where we go. And you may get Dobbins now. Yeah. That doesn't help, <laughs> right? I, like, maybe it does. Maybe getting another guy in there is just like, okay, now I just know we can't trust anybody. I yeah. can't bet on any of them getting to 12 carries. I will just, you know, if you if you really want one in DFS, fine, but I'm going to stay away. It's just that they have been so ineffective. And without the threat of Lamar Jackson, that will not get better. Speaking of not getting better, it's astonishing how bad the Broncos are. And it's to the point where they're not even worth talking about on offense. We did have Cortland Sutton go down with a hamstring injury. We had Jerry Judy come back from injury. And, you know, it's just like irrelevant. Irrelevant. Dulcich, at least, for a <laughs> barren, at a barren position. But Sutton, this is the first 0. time in like 0. a month where I wasn't like, hey, Greg Dulcich, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's, that started well and finished very well like, relative to tight end production that we're used to so i guess like he would start he would start in the coming coming weeks unless something changes here but the running backs are it's impossible judy barely sutton a bagel and an injury it's so bad i want to sue the broncos i've wanted to sue them since the opener i feel you, you a lot of teams are just flatline or dial tone and maybe they disappoint you this team all season has made me angry i don't remember the last time where i've looked at a team and thought you guys really need to fire that coach before his first year ends. I mean, I'm sure that there have been other times, maybe I was just too young to be thinking about it, but I'm normally like, eh, you know, let's give him a shot, but there is absolutely nothing to, to look to here for optimism. And it feels better to know that they have a six foot seven burner inactive every week in Alberto on an offense that cannot score a touchdown. That just even, that just adds to it. Maybe you should ask for his release like Baker Mayfield this week. Yes, maybe you should have asked for that a long time ago. Uh, yeah, that's just hopeless. Well, let's move on to the Packers. 28-19 win over the Bears where A.J. Dillon has been hopeful lately. Doubled Aaron Jones's carries in this one. Second straight strong fantasy outing for him. I wonder if it's time to worry about Aaron Jones, but Mike, I looked at football outsiders numbers before this and Aaron Jones is sitting first among all running backs in rushing DVOA entering the week, AJ Dillon ninth. So I think maybe the running game overall, a little bit more successful for the season than you might guess by the raw numbers. And with Aaron Rodgers' injury, maybe it's a little bit more of a reason to believe in both Jones and Dillon, you know, relatively speaking, not to get excited, but to believe in them over some others in a similar range in your decisions over the next few weeks. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Jones had an injury yesterday, came back into the game and then left again, I believe. He had Patrick Taylor involved. So Green Bay at five and eight, where the seven seed is seven and five. <laughs> it just doesn't really smell like a situation that is really likable for fantasy. You know, we were debating whether Rodgers would play in this game and he did and they won. So they're not dead. But I think, you know, they're one loss away maybe from shutting him down. That seems like that's what I would do. I mean, I've got a first-round pick quarterback sitting on my bench just rotting. So um, that's what I want to do, especially if I lost one more game. And that, I think, right, would change everything when it comes to the the formulas and the running backs. Um, Jones is so good. And, and Dylan is nice, too. Uh, as long as – if I had Green Bay with a slightly better record, I'd, I'd probably want to buy into that. Mm -hmm. But we don't. 
we're also getting to the point in the season two where you find out somebody like Aaron Jones, maybe if he, he is hurt more than he's let on, maybe they think about shutting him down with one more loss. So we'll see week 14 by, which should help everybody with those injury situations. And then we'll see beyond that. One guy that's not going to get shut down for sure is Christian Watson, who is just impossible. Apparently two more touchdowns yesterday, one from 48 yards out on the ground. He's got eight touchdowns and 17 touches over the past four games. Mike, I called him the wide receiver Jamal Williams last week on the preview podcast, but he's not because Jamal Williams is fortunate to get touchdown chances. Christian Watson is creating touchdown chances every time he touches the ball. Yeah. He's so fast. Like these, these plays are just amazing to watch too. Like it, it's just impressive. Um, Watson for me, it's just like, this is not to predicting what's going to happen in the coming weeks. I mean, you can certainly, you're going to start him in the coming weeks is what you're going to do. But damn, for me, he was somebody that, I had enough of in terms of drafts, but then would cut. It started badly and, you know, just keep adding running backs, right? Like that's what we want to do so we can have Samaj P. Ryan in a, in a situation like the Bengals are in. But to do that, Watson was somebody for me, even though with the rookie point, how they can grow, like he was somebody for me that I cut off every team that I had him. Just like I can't. He, he came back for the Buffalo game and I started him that week. But then he got a concussion, like on his first play in that game, and so that's it. I'm done. I'm done with Christian Watson, and you know, paying the price. Yeah, I mean, it made sense. He didn't have any more. He had four targets in Week One, and then he had no more than three in any game until Dallas in Week Ten, and that's the past four weeks. Now he has suddenly become that guy that's scoring all the time. So he made sense as a cut. I think as far as you know, learning going forward. I don't think that he's the type of guy that you say, I'm not going to make this mistake next time because there have been plenty of other examples where cutting that young receiver worked out fine. We just don't remember them because people forget (laughs) those seasons when it doesn't rebound. I think maybe the, you know, maybe stop for a second and look at situation. You say, well, how much do they like him? How much of a chance is there that he works into a primary role for this offense if he gets healthy? And, you know, maybe that's where if it's close, you keep somebody like Watson because of the talent, because he was an early draft pick for them. And, you know, to his credit, he has at this point worked into that primary role. He's not doing this, you know, crazy touchdown rate on few touches from a minor position. He's right with Alan Lazard leading the team in routes. He's heavily involved. He's a full-time player. You know, he's bound for some touchdown regression, but he is a primary piece for this offense that we can and should continue to use the rest of this season. His ascension also coincided with Romeo Dobbs injury when it looked like Dobbs might be, if not Lazard, the player to have on the Packers. And he got hurt for four weeks and that open space for uh, Watson. Sky Moore is an example of what you're talking about, too, right? Like cut him or don't. Well, he has Patrick Mahomes. The offense is more there's more potential. So keep Sky Moore, maybe cut Christian Watson instead. You never know. Yeah, we'll get to both of those guys in a few minutes. But Christian Watson looks good the rest of the way. Like I said, bye this week. But Rams, Dolphins, Vikings after that. Lions in week 18 if you play that far. So I'd probably have Watson in most of my lineups beyond that. On the other side of this game, welcome back, Justin Fields. 55-yard touchdown run. Didn't even play especially well. It was you know mostly efficient, 20-25 passing for 254 yards, but also threw a pair of picks. But that rushing... I mean, I know he's not going to give us a 50-yard touchdown 
every week, but I can't say in any given week that he won't give us a 50-yard touchdown run. He ran only six times, but that big one saved you, you know, like we were wondering about his shoulder and what would they do? And maybe it's right to have thought that they would slow down his, uh, his rushing, but he, he, he hit, you know, and he just looks so spectacular when he gets, we gets out, uh, field. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're playing him with confidence, I think. Yeah. And they said he was healthy. Um, they get a week, a week 14 by now he should be better for week 15, the matchups aren't great on the other side of that. They've got Philly and Buffalo, but then Detroit in week 17. So at the very least, you're hanging on to fields for that one. You see what you got for the next two games. Cole Komet was also good in this one. He's seen six plus targets now in four or five games, 25% target share over that span. And most of that included Darnell Mooney. So he's a pretty good target bet the rest of the way. Like I said, for fields, matchups with Philly and Buffalo aren't great after the bye, but Komet's probably going to land in the bottom of our top 12 at tight end for even those weeks. Fields also hit a couple of deep ones to guys that you don't have on your team, Equinemia St. Brown and Nikhil Harry, especially Nikhil Harry. So great plays, long, long balls that the receivers came down with. Um, so I don't know. I don't ever see the bears blossoming in this area to become a team where you'd even consider those players, maybe Claypool, but a uh, couple of nice plays to Fields' stat line yesterday. 100, 100 yards or so on those two. And that's what he brought with him into the league. Good running, good deep ball. Right. We'll see how he develops as a quarterback. But, you know, frankly, for fantasy, I only care that he develops enough that he stays on the field as long as he's got the deep ball and got the legs. Same. Yeah, just a really exciting player. Good for the Bears to, to get to this point with him after early in the season, it looked like maybe they were even going to sabotage yeah. with, with fields. But it's worked out better than that. Lions 40 to 14 over the Jaguars in a game that didn't seem like it should go like that, but um, that's what we got. DeAndre Swift, I think, is the biggest story from here for the Lions. Played his most snaps since week one, played more snaps than Jamal Williams for the first time since week two, led the team in carries, tied for second on the team in targets. So last week, we were still in I don't trust DeAndre Swift territory. Now, I would say he's at least a starter for week 14. And then, you know, assuming that that goes well, probably a starter the rest of the way. But we'll see how week 14 goes first. Detroit has Minnesota at home this week. They've been a really fun team in fantasy right from week one. Just shootout games, especially their home games, and a lot of different guys involved. Jamal Williams sees. And I agree with you on Swift. I mean, I think that's trending up. Amon Ross St. Brown just – Amazing second round pick at the latest next year, I want to say. Uh, Jamison Williams, what was it, Matt? Was it one target? Do you know? I saw one play where they threw it to him. I know he was barely on the field in this game, but maybe that becomes something. Chark had a day against his former team. It's 14 rushing touchdowns for, for uh, Jamal Williams. How are they always at the one yard line? What does Detroit do where every time you look up or, you know, first time I looked up at Detroit yesterday, they had first and goal at the one, like right away. And of course, Jamal Williams, almost automatic. I think Jamison Williams is going to wreck that because I think their secret is having wide receivers that are decently fast, but not world-class <laughs> fast. So they get tackled at the two yard line. Then it's uh, Jamal Williams territory. So now Jamison Williams is going to wreck that by taking it all away. Jamal Williams, very excited about that draft sharks invitational. He's a player <laughs> that I had a lot of. We talked about him on our roundtable stuff in the summer. Uh, it's a little, it's a little shaky right now with Swift, of it course, is. totally healthy and, and working his way back into more, more volume. Yeah. You want to keep, I don't know. It, it's going to be 
nerve wracking to sit Jamal Williams because he did score again yesterday and he scored early in the game. It's a fourth straight game with a touchdown league leading 14 rushing touchdowns for the season, but he also saw his fewest carries since week eight tied his second fewest carries all season. And this is where he's been in the few games where Deandre Swift has been healthy. 11 carries in week one, 12 carries in week two, 11 carries yesterday. Those are really the only three games where we got a full Deandre Swift. So I think that's where we should set our expectations for Williams. It doesn't mean you can't use him, but it certainly means less of a chance that he's getting the ball for a guy that we already knew was touchdown dependent. So I I know that I'm going to get questions every week going forward. Should I start Jamal Williams or this guy? Jamal Williams is going to be a, a comfort level call against most running backs and wide receivers. If we're talking flex going forward, because if he doesn't score a touchdown, he's going to give you three, three and a half points. Just a glorified goal line back right now. No targets in a game where they threw 41 times. <laughs> and you mentioned a nice game for DJ Chark yesterday. I would be careful about him. It was just a 14.6% target share for Chark. And as you alluded to, it was the first game for Jamison Williams. He barely played, but I mean, I would assume that he's going to have more of a role going forward. So if I'm in like a, a league of 14 plus teams, if I'm in a league that plays more than three wide receiver spots, then I think Chark gets interesting. Otherwise, he's he's probably somebody that I'm not bothering putting on my roster at this point. Yeah, he was on the field a lot, but it's hard with Detroit. Like all these different guys and Justin Jackson, if you want him, and different tight ends. Like there's so many different ways it can go, except St. Brown, who seems undeniable. Yeah, he's going to dominate. Jared Goff is an option this week against Minnesota, especially with six teams on by for the final bye week. Doubt he's going to sit any higher than QB 15 beyond that. So grab Goff if you need him this week. Certainly downside risk to him always, but don't get excited about him down the stretch. Browns, Texans next. And you look at a 27-14 Browns win. Wait, you think Matt. Oh, good. Were you just being nice, not mentioning Evan Ingram? <laughs> yeah, I guess I should. I think I mentally moved on from Trevor Lawrence's disappointing game. Right. And then just, I was like, forget the Jaguars. Your guy, Ingram, though. I mean, he got the touchdown. Any, do you have a thought on ETN? Like, he is not really that relevant in passing their passing game, uh, I would say. They're losing all day. Like, do we deserve more there? Are they misusing him? I'm not sure I could say that. I, I feel like maybe we're learning this year that in terms of ETN as a pass catching back, it's not elite. I think probably the takeaway here is don't look at a college back with high receiving numbers and assume that he's an elite receiving back. And we had right. some film guys saying that coming right. into that draft. He he got a lot of receptions at Clemson but it was running back type receptions. He wasn't running routes. And that, I, I think that's what we're seeing with Jacksonville. Cause as you mentioned, he doesn't have more than three catches in any game all season. He started the year as supposedly they're receiving back, but there has, there's been two games all year with more than three targets. There've been no games with more than three catches. So, you know, don't assume that there's going to be a receiving boost for any game script that goes against his rushing. If this game doesn't tell you that, right? Like snaps yesterday, ETN 49, Snoop Connor 4, Jamichael Hasty 3. They were down big early, and you got three catches. Like that part of there's a there's a cap on that part of uh his fantasy value. Yep. And it's not like they're giving it to crappy guys instead. They're throwing to the wide receivers that they paid for. They're throwing to the tight end that they paid for. They're throwing to Marvin Jones, who has been around forever. So it just you know, it's not a, a case, I think, of as you said, I don't think it's a case of the Jaguars misplaying it. It's just how they're playing it. Yep. Okay. 
Now let's go to Cleveland. Now let's go to Cleveland because you look at 27 points, you figure a good day for the offense, but <laughs> nope, it was a great day for Mike Shope's defense in our football guys matchup. Touchdowns on punt return, interception return, fumble return. We got 304 yards of offense against a defense that has been allowing 378 per game. And you were basically disappointed if you used any of your Browns in this game, other than Donovan Peoples-Jones, and that's only because he got you a punt return. Hey, I, I used the Draft Sharks uh, rankings for defense plays, and they were very high on Cleveland. So I loaded up on Cleveland and Seattle where I could because of that list. You know, Chubb is a little bit of a mystery, and Kareem Hunt got some play in this game. In terms of Watson, I'm not really worried about it. Like, I think Brissett would have probably made this game smoother for Cleveland. You know, just passes were off, and the offense didn't look like it was at all in sync. But isn't that to be expected? And they were able to win anyway in Houston. They're not dead in the race, five and seven. I mean, seven and five is the seven seed in the AFC. So I think they still have some life. They have the Bengals this week. And I feel like Watson will get going. I mean, he's always been an elite fantasy quarterback. So a lot of emotion in Houston, I'm sure. And um, I'm not going to take away anything negative from, in terms of fantasy football from uh, his game. Yeah, I think we probably gave him a little bit too much credit. I think we had him 10th in the Maybe. QB rankings. You know, it's it's tough. You don't really face that many instances where a, a stud quarterback comes back after two years away. And the, the, it's not like we can look at the, the historical list of when that happened and say, well, this is what we should expect. So, you know, if you did bet on him over somebody that outscored him yesterday, I, I guess the takeaway is to air on the side of caution. If somebody's not played football in a long time, we'll see where it goes. I think, like you said, though, I I'm not overly worried. What did bother me was Kareem hunt getting more involved early. And if you look at the final line, we got 17 carries for Nick Chubb and you can say, all right, that's not as many as I would like against the Texans, but 17's okay. But in the first half we had um, Kareem hunt a lot more involved than he had been five carries, three targets versus eight carries for Nick Chubb in that portion. I don't know why that happened because we had been getting a lot less of Kareem Hunt. Right. In week one, it would not have surprised us. In the first half of the season, it would have been less of a surprise. But at this point, you know, against that opponent, we were not expecting Hunt. I mean, it's sort of frustrating for me because he was a guy I drafted a lot of also, and it just never really happened. And then people who study the efficiency were saying it's kind of on him, like that he isn't earning more more volume from the Browns but in this game he, he got some and you know Chubb did get to 80 yards that game being in Houston Matt like to Watson again like just what a way to break back in had to be just I don't know I, I don't want to sound like I'm defending him but just had to be really challenging 80 yards made me mad for Nick Chubb because I had lots of underdog pickums going with him in him and it seemed like his line was set below his yards per game for the year and he's facing one of the league's worst run defenses, which seemed like such a gimme. But then that's why none of these things are actually gimmies, I guess. <laughs> just break one. That's all you want. Just, just he really had a tough time. Like, yeah. what was his long, his longest run of the day was twenty-one yards. Ugh. Okay, you know, but uh, come on, I could have a twenty-one yard run against the Texans against Houston. Yeah. <laughs> on great. the other side, we did get a mild rebound from Damian Pierce, seventy-three yards on eighteen carries for him. One more carry than Nick Chubb in this loss. Three catches for 22. That followed two games of less than 20 total yards for Pierce. The matchup certainly helped. The Browns are the weakest against running back scoring in the league. And, of course, the matchup next is not nearly so good, Dallas. But 
it at least gives us enough where we can say Damian Pierce is not dead. We still have to weigh him against our options for that Dallas matchup. But, you know, I, I guess he at least didn't run into, um, or de- at least didn't definitely run into the rookie wall yet. Yeah, that's right. You know, you, you know what you're getting with Pierce. You, you really pretty much need a touchdown. You're not getting targets. You're playing on the worst team in the league. So it's kind of pretty, it's pretty straightforward with Pierce, but you know, still playable. And yeah, you can feel a little bit better about it after yesterday, the way it was going. Uh, by the way, the Ravens just added Brett Hundley to back up Tyler Huntley. So get ready to be confused in games going forward. Yeah. Um, so we had that Dallas matchup, then we got Kansas City, then we got Tennessee and Jacksonville. I think Damian Pierce is going to wind up being a not play in week 16 against Tennessee, the way things have gone for Houston so far. And, you know, it, it's tough to say exactly who I'm playing over him in that week, just sitting here right now without knowing who's healthy and what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. But I think it's worth planning right now, if it's possible to have other options available for what's going to be the semifinals in a lot of fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the bye weeks uh, this week will shrink the pool. But after that, and you get into the the FFPC stuff with the tournaments, the football guys and the main event, and you're just going to want the high ceiling. So that could that could freeze out. We talked about James Cook earlier. Maybe he becomes somebody you'd play over Damian Pierce, given like what the what the circumstances are. But again, you know, Pierce, at least a breath of life yesterday. Vikings 27 to 22. And of course the Jets breath of life has been Mike white over the past two weeks. And obviously he's thrown for 300 yards, which is nice. Not many people really reaping that benefit in their lineup. What we're getting is Garrett Wilson brought back to life, huge numbers against Minnesota and the quote from him after the game talking about Mike white. I know I'd go to war for that boy. He's got something special about him. So Garrett Wilson loves him some Mike White right now. And it's hard not to love Mike White for bringing that Garrett Wilson to us. <laughs> right. Did they ask Elijah Moore about his chemistry with Mike White? Did he say, like, I don't know. I don't get the ball. Can you say that again? I don't again? think anybody talks to Elijah Moore anymore. Oh, in so sad. Two for seven on six targets yesterday for Moore. Wilson have one where he could have, I think it was, it could have been a touchdown, but he didn't get his second foot down. Maybe it wasn't a touchdown. It was just a catch at the sideline, but didn't get his second foot down when it certainly looked like he could have. That's not good. Wilson is really a star. Like just watching him is, is a treat. So good. And every fantasy player wants to see Mike white stay in over Zach Wilson or even Flacco. And you know, Garrett Wilson's comments and players wearing t-shirts with Mike White's name on them is just, it's almost like they're just screaming at management, leave him in. And so they easily could have won this game yesterday. They were behind throughout. They had two late drives. The first the first time they got stopped, got the ball again, got right down to the red zone and easily could have beaten Minnesota to go to eight and four. Like, they're interesting. Now they go to Buffalo, which good luck, but Minnesota won there. They could have won the, the game yesterday. Wilson, uh, really nice. I mean, in terms of dynasty, what a great year. Olave and and even London, you know, hasn't had quite the high ceiling games, but so many guys just, just getting started on Jamison Williams and Pickens and everybody. There's a lot of, lot of talent. Yeah, we expected this to be a nice class of rookie wide receivers. It's nice to see it paying off already. This is a nice game for Corey Davis as well. Five catches on 85 or 485 yards on 10 targets. The volume definitely helped him though. 58 total pass attempts for the Jets. So just a 17% target share for Corey Davis. Not ready to play him, 
Um, but, you know, Mike White's helping everybody, I guess, right now. Zonovan Knight, too, the running back. He looked good, I thought. I mean, yeah. he had one big run to pad his, his stat line, but he also caught five passes, which I didn't think they were going to use him in that way. Again, this, the game script helped. So he's playable now, I think. He is. We'll see about Michael Carter for this week if his ankle's ready. Right. And that's going to make it challenging if he is. But if he's not, they they said it was going to be a committee, but it sure looked like Zonovan Knight with some other guys joining in at some points. Yeah, I wonder what um, they'll do. I mean, Carter is still young himself and has looked good too. So they, they'll they be tough to predict next week if Carter's back. If, if he's not, Zonovan Knight, I don't know where you'd rank him, but RB2 maybe? Is that yeah. a little lofty? He definitely has, a, you know, I don't have all of the names in mind that are available with that 16 buy, but I would not be shocked to see Zonovan Knight settle in at like RB22 for week 14. They're at the Bills, and the last drive they had against the Bills, they ran right through the Bills to win that game earlier this year at New York. So, um, yeah, like he's an interesting sort of out of nowhere. He's all the time we all spend on this, you get to Thanksgiving and you've never heard of a player who might be really relevant in the playoffs. And it's just another one of those marks in favor of running backs don't matter. And that's not so much a ding on Zonovan Knight as it is, you know, there are these guys out there that can play well enough to, to maximize what's available. Right. On the Viking side of this one, there's nothing revelatory. I think the Jets D remains a challenging matchup. It was a down day for Justin Jefferson, but he still got the seven catches still scored in the second half to save his fantasy line, you know, down day, but nothing that you adjust anything off of. And, and really, I don't, I don't have any other takeaways from this Vikings offense. This is my first time hosting the Monday show with you, the recap show. I often watch it with, with Adam on and I felt like, all right, I know, I know what it's supposed to go, how it's supposed to go. I'll want to make just a couple of notes for every team. You know, what's the most interesting fantasy takeaway from this team for the Vikings. I just wrote, okay. Like, <laughs> Cook, okay. You know, Jefferson, okay. Hawkinson, okay. Cousins, down, you know, just I didn't learn anything about yep. Minnesota, which is fine. Yep, they are what they are. You know who you're using, basically, and you know when it's a tough matchup, you should probably lean away from it in close decisions. Speaking of decisions, we didn't get one in Commander's Giants yesterday, 20 to 20 <laughs> through overtime. We did, however, get a second straight solid outing from Brian Robinson. 21 carries, 96 yards, two catches. For 15 the past two weeks have been the only two games all year for brian robinson over four yards per carry even the game before that against houston he didn't get there he did still split time evenly with antonio gibson um gibson got just one more target uh led by a pretty good amount in routes 25 to 12 but brian robinson got the ball a lot for a team that wants to run the ball look good and he gets these giants again after the bye that's right they played the giants twice in a row stupid just stuff. just just continue the first game and give two wins to whoever wins the second game. I don't know. Um, you know, interesting game and Robinson fine. Gibson was tougher to start. We shied away from him in most places yesterday, or I did. But uh, the receivers, McLaurin had a great game. Samuel and Dotson were usable. They were nice if you started them, You know, I think, uh, for what you got. So um, that's sort of like talking about the Jets and how Mike White brings their passing you know, the receivers to life. And Heineke kind of does that too. He's, I think he's pretty terrible just watching that game. The throws are all over the place, but he's scrappy. And he, in terms of fantasy, you want to stay up. You want to see him stay in, I think. 
Yeah, I don't think that we're in danger of getting Carson Wentz back in there right now. The volume was a lot different yesterday than it normally is. 41 pass attempts are the high since Taylor Heineke jumped in. His previous high was 33. Back in his first start this year, he's been under 30 in four straight games before yesterday. And by my count, at least, he had 21 attempts in the fourth quarter alone of this game against the Giants when they were en route first to the tying TD and then trying to win the game. So it was nice to get the numbers we got from all Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, and Curtis Samuel. I would expect that we're only going to get McLaurin supported going forward. But we also did get the three wide receivers working ahead of Logan Thomas again in routes. So that's the way that Washington started the year with those three wideouts as kind of their primary three route runners and target options. You know, volume might not support it, but it's maybe maybe the takeaway here is forget Logan Thomas exists. Maybe. Good point on the, the length of this game and the situation. They ran 85 plays yesterday, so I know we, we usually deal in percentages, but that total helps. It's good It's good to keep that in mind, you know, probably not looking at that, you know, repeating itself too often. Mm-hmm. On the Giants side, Darius Slayton has topped 60 receiving yards in five straight games. That span began with week eight, the first time he hit 70% playing time this year. He has been above that level of playing time every week since. He's also wide receiver 22 in total PPR points over that span with just one touchdown, 32nd among wide receivers and target share in that time. So he's getting his value from his downfield game, 18.2 yards per catch makes him a, a little bit flimsy, but the giants need him for targets next four weeks to find Philly, Washington, Minnesota, Indy, three of those, well, two of those I think are negative matchups for wide receivers. It's the fourth toughest wide receiver schedule going forward by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. I still think Slayton's going to be at least in the wide receiver three mix over all of those weeks. Yeah, I think it's the first time all year where I feel like there's clarity with the Giants at receiver. So many guys have come and gone, but Slayton works. Hodgins is coming on. Hodgins had a touchdown in Dallas that was overturned, and then he had one yesterday. He had been a Bills prospect. He was a draft pick in the Gabriel Davis draft the same year that Davis was drafted by the Bills, but had injuries for two years and never got on the field. This year he started to, but ended up being released. I think it's a, maybe a dubious decision. And his old, you know, guys who were in Buffalo, Joe Shane, the GM, and Dable, they knew what they had in Isaiah Hodgins. And he's already re- factoring in. And I think Bellinger is also relevant in their offense. Tight end, so desperate. But Bellinger was pretty – I mean, he was getting the ball. He was getting targets before he got hurt. He had an eye injury back yesterday and he saw the ball yesterday too you mentioned their schedule I know from the draft sharks tools that the running back schedule is kind of brutal for for Saquon Barkley and that's already maybe underway Uh, I'm not not sure if that's changed in the last couple of weeks but I'm relieved these days to see Barkley score because it's just it's it's so hard for him right now with that offense I think the quarterback is bad very interesting to see what they do about Daniel Jones in the offseason yeah, he got Barkley got the touch volume yesterday, got the touchdown, like you mentioned. He's done well, I think, to hit three and a half yards per carry each of the past two weeks, especially yesterday against Washington. So let's hope for continued Darius Slayton success, if only to get Saquon Barkley close to the end zone. Daniel Jones, you know, same kind of negative schedule for him going forward. I would hope that you don't need to use him. I actually dumped him recently in a backup spot for Mac Jones in case Mac Jones is ready to do anything of value ahead of his positive matchups to close out the season. So that's that's basically where I am on Daniel Jones. I'm fine with dumping him just for a shot. 
at least you get that rushing that seems to be a big part of like part of the part of the offense is Daniel Jones running design plays. Eagles 35, Titans 10. Philly's passing game dominated in this one. It's nice to see when they headed into a poor rushing matchup. You know, it, there's still, I think, some concern if Philly can't run the ball, what are they going to do? Uh, here was the answer here. We had a predictably down game for Miles Sanders, um, but I don't think that you should worry about that when he's actually had three down volume, volume games among the past four, and all three of those came against tough run defenses. Washington, Indy, Tennessee. So it's nice that he got the touchdown in this game and the matchups look better the rest of the way. The worst remaining one is in, is against Dallas in week 16 and the first meeting Miles Sanders carried 18 times for 71 and a touchdown. Great performance. I mean, it was AJ Brown. What I, what I love about the Eagles, you have hurts and these guys in fantasy, like Jalen hurts is almost an MVP in fantasy. And twice yesterday they missed on a deep ball. And then the next play, like there was A.J. Brown out of bounds right back to A.J. Brown after that. Before that, the Devontae Smith long touchdown, the first score of this game was preceded by a deep ball to Quez Watkins that missed. Like, let's just run it again. <laughs> they just – they are so – Confident. down, confident and just like you, – you, we, we know who we are and how we're going to play here and just reminiscent from Tennessee's standpoint of their loss to the Bills where just like they were outclassed and – a good team went big play on them right over the top, and that game was over. It's tough for Burks. I know we're not on Tennessee yet, but just you got to love it. If you're riding high with Hertz and A.J. Brown or Smith even, Sanders, yes, last week that was a little different, but there's so much going on there. And Goddard will be back in week 15, it seems. Yeah, so we like the confidence here. I was I didn't have the game on where I was, so I was following on Twitter and I saw the AJ Brown touchdown, but the foot's out of bounds. And then I saw, oh, next play, they do the exact same right. thing, forty yard makeup touchdown. So let's go ahead and move to the Tennessee side because I mean, if you have these guys from Philly, you're playing them. Traylon Burks, like you mentioned, a tough game for him. Did have a concussion here. And I think that he's droppable, not because of the concussion here, Mike, but because there just hasn't been enough to cling to before that. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Christian Watson in you like the talent. You like that they drafted him in round one, but the touchdown he caught in this game was his first this year. He's topped four catches once. He's topped 55 yards in a game twice. He's 49th among wide receivers in target share. And that's adjusted for missed games. And it's in a low volume offense. So he's going to need to dominate target share to get enough volume here to be a guy that we start. So at this point in the year, I think it's time to, to stop waiting for Burks to help you, but to, you know, in cases where you need something, go ahead and dump him for something that can actually help you. I want to see what they say about his injury. Uh, you know, this week, there should be an update. And if it sounds like he'll miss a, a, a game, because it's it's bad enough for him to do that, then maybe I would say that. But it's possible that he won't. And like I, I think he was in a position here to do really well yesterday with the way they were losing. I mean, Derrick Henry uh, with 30 yards rushing, it could have been a big day for Burks. The, the catch on which he was injured was amazing. So uh, I don't know. I, I want to hang in there if I can, if it's possible. I think the thing that makes it tough, though, is now with the concussion, he's probably out for week 14. So then you have to decide whether to start him right away in week 15 and, you know, just the issues. It, I, he's not a must drop. And, it, you know, I, I think there's it's tough to draw that line here. He's not somebody you have to drop for whatever. But if you're like, I really need 
the second defense to set up my matchups for each of the next two weeks, or I really want to get this handcuff running back. If the question is, is it okay to drop Burks for that guy? I think it's a yes. Okay. Derrick Henry, I think is even more frustrating because I'm not sure what we do about him. Just 2.8 yards per carry over the past four games, under 40 rushing yards each of the past two. And none of those four run defenses the past four weeks rank higher than 15th in DVOA right now. Next week, Jacksonville sits 13th in run defense DVOA. So it's the best run defense that he will have faced by that measure, at least since week seven. I don't I don't know that we can bench Derrick Henry, though. We just kind of have to say, crap, I hope that things go better the rest of the way. He got the big catch last week. He did fumble on his way in to add to the add to the overall. So uh, absolutely, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to take him out. Yeah, so we'll see with that, with that one. I hope that there's some turnaround. Then we get the Chargers and Texans after that. So if there is any turnaround, excellent matchups that could change his impact on your team. Seahawks over the Rams by a lot less than it should have been, 27-23. Kenneth Walker's ankle injury is... Big news here. We don't know yet the extent of it, but it's never good when a guy is officially ruled out before the end of the game. So we'll watch that. DJ Dallas also hurt an ankle, but then returned later in that game. So we've got him. We've got Travis Homer. If he's back, we've got Tony Jones, who was in place instead of Travis Homer yesterday, who was inactive for that game. This is not a backfield where I'm interested in any of the handcuffs. If it's not Kenneth Walker, Mike, I don't want anybody. I agree with that. There was an update while we were talking about Walker, but it doesn't really help us. I think Pete Carroll said, I believe I read that it was a foot injury. Uh, I'm not sure what that changes, but yeah, I, I'm the same. I wouldn't want to start anybody there except for Walker. That passing offense, though, it's like Miami has this thing where it's Tua Hill Waddle, and you just know it, and it's awesome. Philadelphia a little bit with their guys, and Seattle. And like, how, how good is this? Metcalf, Lockett, Geno Smith. I mean, Fant a little bit, but it's so reliable, it seems, Matt. Nobody wants to, not nobody, but people are sort of dubious about it because Geno Smith, but he continues to put up huge passing yards, even without really any running, definitely startable, and great days for those receivers yesterday. Yeah, and I mean, the Kenneth Walker injury could just propel them further by leaving their, leaving no running game for Pete Carroll to lean on more than they reasonably should. Right. They have Carolina at home Sunday. Mm -hmm. Go get it. On the other side of this one, Cam Akers out of nowhere, 17 carries, 60 yards, but most importantly, two touchdowns on the ground. I think that probably says more about the Seattle matchup going forward than it does about Cam Akers. I mean, just a week ago, Kyron Williams was the guy leading the backfield. Now, I would love to forget about this backfield, but Thursday night they host the Raiders. So mm -hmm. if Cam Akers is going to lead the backfield, he's potentially usable. Yes. Did he lead it by anything, by a significant margin, though? I know Williams was on the field, third and long kind of situations, and didn't really get, I'm looking now, let's see, he got three carries for nine yards, no targets. Well, that's not great, but I feel like it's still up in the air. I wouldn't be surprised if Williams and Akers flipped uh, this week for whatever reason. So this week, the counts are 46 snaps for Akers versus 18 for Kyron Williams with Akers leading in both routes and carries. So, you know, again, like if you just look at that, it's like, oh, OK, they want Cam Akers to be in charge. But a week ago, it was like, oh, OK, they want Kyron Williams to be in charge now. So wh whatever way we go, we have to make sure that we realize we're talking about a one game sample. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to take Akers day as anything I want to act on. Maybe the matchup makes you forces you into it, but I'm not trusting it. Yeah, I think if you're playing one, it's Akers over um, Kyron Williams because we go with what was most recent, but I'm not reaching for either guy to play over somebody that's been helping me to this point. Tyler right Higby 
His routes rebounded some in this game, still just 55.5% of dropbacks in what's a positive matchup for tight end. So nice that he did something tied for the team target lead with just five targets, 19.2% share. So we like that number, but it's a team that's not going to pass well. It's, you know, like I said, a, still a low route rate for tight ends. So don't get excited about Tyler Higby. Incredible to look at the Rams skill, like their depth chart from the Super Bowl and then yesterday. And just like very obscure, Austin Trammell, just the most obscure names, Wolford and Bryce Perkins as at quarterback and just all of it, except for Akers and Higby, I guess Van Jefferson. It's really just like, who are these guys? Yeah, that's a shame, really. 49ers, Dolphins, speaking of who are these guys, who's playing quarterback for the 49ers now? Because Jimmy Garoppolo broke his left foot in that game. He's done for the season. Brock Purdy time in that game. 25 of 37, 210 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, 67.6% completions, 5.7 yards per pass attempt. Obviously, it's a downgrade from Jimmy Garoppolo. The question is going to be the impact on 49ers pass catchers going forward. And I think, Mike, what might happen here is the the new quarterback could be a little bit better for target purposes for Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and a little bit worse for Brandon Ayuk because we've got a shorter average depth of target for Purdy, 6.3 yards per target so far this year versus 6.9 for Garoppolo. And yesterday specifically, where we got obviously the most work for Purdy yet, 5.3 yard dot against Miami. So if it's like that, that's going to help McCaffrey and Debo in terms of where they get targeted on the field. And it's going to hurt Brandon Ayuk, who leads them by a wide margin in dot for the season. Yeah, that makes sense. You'd expect a guy, he was Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft, Purdy. You'd expect somebody at that sort of draft level to keep it, rein it in, you know, not going to be throwing the ball downfield very often. There is speculation today that it could end up with Baker Mayfield, who was released by Carolina. We'll see if he gets claimed by them or another team in front of them in the line. But, you know, yeah, like those are tough guys to bench. George Kittle, of course, he's going to play. It's tight end, but it's tough to put those guys on the bench with the Niners. Never never McCaffrey, but maybe Debo or Ayuk, depending on what this looks like. I think the Jordan Mason development yesterday is relevant. In my opinion, I think we saw Mason over Davis Price eight for 51 as a counter to McCaffrey. Mitchell is gone. Maybe for the first time, we might really know what they want to be. It's a big game. McCaffrey and Mason, I think, is probably going to be what it looks like. That'd be my guess. Yeah, and I don't think that I'm playing Jordan Mason as a standalone in fantasy lineups because he did just get the eight carries to 17 for McCaffrey. But he, this is the time of year where it's fine to go ahead and stash him as a handcuff in case something happens to McCaffrey. Obviously, we would get... Tyreon Davis price involved if McCaffrey were to go down, but looks like Mason is finally the next running back up after being active, but almost only a special teams player all year to this point. If they don't trust the quarterback much at all, maybe you see a heavier run attack. Like when Mitchell, I mean, I, I started Mitchell at least once after uh, McCaffrey was there. He had the one game where everybody was sort of dumbfounded by how many carries he got. So, uh, yeah, like I'm not going to want to start Mason this week, but he is interesting, I think. Yeah, interesting for sure. On the Dolphins side, Tua left the game with an ankle injury. The early word is that he expects to be ready for the Chargers game in week 14, so we won't worry about that too much right now. Jalen Waddle also left this game, but then came back with the leg issue. So 
not too worried about anything on the Miami side. The biggest takeaway is Raheem Mostert taking the backfield back over from Jeff Wilson Jr. in this one. Had been dealing with an injury for a while, but when Jeff Wilson Jr. first arrived, I don't think Raheem Mostert was really injury limited. So he beat Wilson in snaps and pass routes in this one, beat him seven to one in carries in a game that just didn't go the way of the running game at all. I mean, we'll see. It's one game. It's a little quick to say, oh, it's Mostert now. But if I'm choosing between them for what's a high ceiling matchup for running backs against the Chargers next week, I'd have to lean Mostert. It's so tough to attach any rhyme or reason to these things. You know, we're half of the teams in the league, maybe we're talking about, all right, what does this game tell us about what they are going to do next week at running back? And we're talking about the Rams and the Niners and the Dolphins and so many other teams. Green Bay is like so hard to know. I I wouldn't be confident at all. This game yesterday for Miami, they did not convert a third down. They had 46 plays of offense to San Francisco's 84. Like it was just a game where they could not get rolling. And if it just was like, you stay out there. I mean, it could have been the kind of game for Miami where there's nothing meaningful about what the running back uh, usage was. That said, it's hard to trust Jeff Wilson next week, right? Like, I mean, he had one carry for three yards, just a total dud, an important fantasy week, or even Mostert, but... Like I, I don't, I don't know. I, I would want to find you know prop bets maybe or something like that on on Wilson next week because I think this might the, might have been the kind of game where there really are no takeaways. Yeah, it's tough to know. I wish that it weren't so late in the season so we could have some time before yeah. the playoffs to assess it. And I mean, it'd be nicer too if they had a negative matchup in Week 14 where we didn't have to worry about it so much. But Chargers a high upside matchup. Bills have been a decent matchup for running backs after that, and then Green Bay in Week 16 another high upside matchup. So. Let's hope we at least get some answers before that one. Yep. Bengals 27, Chiefs 24. Chiefs went with their second most run-heavy approach of the season, a 61-39 pass run split. That trailed only their week four game at Tampa Bay where we had the huge CEH stat line in a lopsided Chiefs win. They had been 71% pass through week nine, just 64% over the past four games. So for whatever reason, the Chiefs are leaning a bit more toward the run. And, you know, we've had wide receivers in and out because of injuries. Travis Kelsey is also down two catches per game between those two spans of games that I mentioned. It's kind of like Derrick Henry where you don't do anything with it. You're still playing Travis Kelsey, but at least for DFS, I think it's something to be aware of. Yeah, just a really tough game, Kansas City. They've always been hard to predict when it came when it comes to wide receivers. And that's no less true than ever with Juju's game and just – it's hard to know. Pacheco seems solid. Who who do you start with confidence on the Chiefs? Kelsey, of course. Mahomes, of course. Pacheco, maybe. Like it's it's hard after that. I think that the the recent run lean makes me more confident in Pacheco than I was a week ago, especially now that he's scored twice from inside the 10 yard line in consecutive games. He's got 14 plus carries in four straight now. He's averaging 4.8 yards per carry over that span. You know, got the two short ish yardage touchdowns, as I mentioned, and perhaps most importantly, the sixth best running back scoring schedule the rest of the way by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. And if you look at it game by game, the two meetings remaining with Denver look like they're negative by adjusted fantasy points allowed, but the Broncos are allowing 4.6 yards per carry to running backs for the year. They're 17th in run defense DVOA, according to football outsiders. So I think the matchups might even be better than they look for Pacheco the rest of the way. And they don't score Denver. 
So there's it's more reason to expect a game like last week's when it was Chiefs Rams, and you can just sort of slow play it. Uh, yeah, Pacheco, yes, but receivers, big question mark. Juju Smith-Schuster did get back to the lead wide receiver position for this one, so I think he's the guy if you want one. Sky Moore, still fourth among those players, zero targets on his 10 routes. He's somebody that I'm not bothering rostering at this point, which has been my stance on him through the past few weeks, too. We'll see if we get Kadarius Tony back. It'll make it more complicated, but also more exciting. Bengals side, the only question is whether Joe Mixon's concussion has him back for next week. I would have guessed that it will. It seemed like he was close this week, but didn't quite get there. So I assume we'll get Samaje Pirine back to the backup role. We got Jamar Chase back, and we got him at regular playing time in the target lead for this game. Yep, Chase Higgins, 100%. Boyd, just a tough drop yesterday, but still playable. I wonder if Pirine has done well enough to keep a role with Mixon back. Not like start him in fantasy, probably, but he's been really good. Not just touches and volume, but this game yesterday, he was important. So we'll see. Like Mixon, you start. P. Ryan, maybe you, you start too. That's probably aggressive. Yeah, I think you need to be hard up to start P. Ryan. We've seen a couple times here and there where he gets more involved than we want him to be if we have Joe Mixon. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get games where he gets, you know, six to eight carries or three catches, something like that, but but more of a more of a pain to mix in than a standalone guy, I think. Could he? I know this is sacrilege on a Draft Sharks podcast, but could he ever play over Mixon? Remember earlier in the season, and Mixon was always like the least efficient. This and you know yards after contact, worst. Like he had some of the worst stats. Then he had a five touchdown game, and he's Joe Mixon. But I think Pirine's been really impressive, and I think that's an interesting conversation. I think it's a conversation for Bengals coaches. I mean, Mixon's got the money. He's got the production. He's younger. So I think that once he's back in there, he's uh, good to go. Raiders 27, Chargers 20. Josh Jacobs just puts up another entry in favor of injuring your calf before you go to play running back in a football game, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, wow, what a story this year. There are guys I regret not having drafted more often. Jacobs is not one of them because I think it's maybe hard to hear, but like, I just feel like it makes sense to me why I didn't end up with Jacobs more roster construction and things. Guy like Amon Ross St. Brown is somebody I think I should have been drafting more often, but um, yeah, he's just been great. And Devonte Adams is great. Huge result for people who made that late first round pick on Adams yesterday, man, massive. And Holland's even got, a usable workload in this game, I think. Yeah, I think after the season, we'll start looking more at what we missed, what people missed about Josh Jacobs, what you can take away from that for drafting next year. But yeah, for now, he and Devontae Adams are dominating things on the Raiders offense, and they're they're difference makers in fantasy any week where they have a positive matchup like they did here. On the Chargers side, Justin Herbert, his second most passing yards of the season, still expected to get Mike Williams back at some point. He's been delivering on what we knew was supposed to be a positive end-of-the-year schedule for his numbers. Austin Eckler, I I wonder, like, I don't know if I've noticed how weak his rushing has been this year. It's been masked by his receiving and his continued high touchdown rate. His carries per game are down versus last year. His yards per game are down versus each of the past two years, but his receptions per game are at a career high, so... You know, I'm not sure that it means a whole lot, but it's something to to take note of, I guess. Yeah, he's held up this year at least. And so we, we've always sort of, for two years, been sort of making sure, we extra careful. We have 
support behind Eckler. At least he's been able to uh, make it into December. Great job. Josh Palmer in this game uh, with Mike Williams still out seems like, you know, rel relatively impressive. He's been safe to play. And I am worried that I'm about to uh, crap out here on my computer. So I'm hoping we can get to the end <laughs> in any it, second. Yeah. If it happens, buy in advance if it happens. Speaking of behind Austin Eckler, Joshua Kelly reclaimed that number two running back job in this game. So I think yes. this is a time of year where he is a solid handcuff. If you want to drop somebody that's probably not making it into your lineup, like I would drop Sky Moore for Joshua Kelly if I have Austin Eckler or if I just have shaky running backs where Joshua Kelly would be a potential upgrade if he's the Chargers starter for me. Yep, I think that's right. Um, on the other side of this game, I would not bother with a Raiders handcuff because I don't think if Jacobs goes down, I don't think it's either Zamir White or Amir Abdullah. I think it's them and Brandon Bolden all working together. I mean, I've had Zamir White taking up space on many rosters this year. It's it's not happened yet. <laughs> Gerald Everett got a yardage bump, but same role for him. He's a solid option as long as the volume stays up. And that's going to happen. The Chargers are second in the league in pass attempts right now. They'll be leading the league if the Bucks throw any fewer than 41 passes tonight. Finally, in our slate of games, Cowboys 54, Colts 19. I, Mike, I looked at the live betting for this one. The Cowboys had a line of six and a half, and I was like, maybe, but I didn't. Probably because I lost on the Jaguars plus 15 and a half as a live bet earlier in the day, but I was sure kicking myself pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I had on our WGR show, Dallas minus nine and a half, the, uh, you know, the pregame line. And I thought I was beat like that game through three quarters was 21, 19. And then Dallas scored 33 points in the fourth quarter. Just all kinds of stupid things started happening to the Colts. Um, man, Indianapolis has been a ride this year. Dallas, you know, fine. Gallup had a game. We'll see what happens with Odell Beckham, Pollard and Elliott, you know, Pre of course, Prescott and lamb. Like it's all good. I don't know if you see it differently. Uh, I don't know. What did Schultz put up in this game? Was there much of him? I'm not even sure what the numbers were for him. I didn't even look. I mean, we had less than 200 passing yards from Dak Prescott in this game. So I'm not even sure how much it tells us. I, I will say that last week, Jared brought up Michael Gallup as a pickup for the rest of the way. And I was like, man, I don't know how much Michael Gallup's going to do for us. So maybe, maybe it's a lesson to listen to Jared more than me. <laughs> two touchdowns. Schultz, by the way, two for 33 on six targets. Hey, we'll take the six targets and forget about the, the two catches as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Indy? Uh, yeah. Otherwise, fantasy-wise, I think the big takeaway is to not worry too much about Michael Pittman on the Indy mm -hmm. side. We know the Colts stink. They were facing the best defense in the league right now, at least by some measures. So if you're disappointed in Michael Pittman's numbers, and obviously you are if you used him, just know that Trayvon Diggs shadowed him in this game. So beyond this, they've got the Vikings, Chargers, and Giants, and there's absolutely nothing scary matchup-wise. Man, what a team. Matt Ryan pulled, coaching changed, Matt Ryan back in, looks good, then doesn't. This was, this was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. I think calling the Colts a disaster is the way to assess that one, and we'll use the guys that we've been using. Jonathan Taylor remains in play. Michael Pittman remains in play. Don't reach too far for other guys in that um, group. That's going to do it for this week 13 recap edition of the podcast. Remember to hit the links below for sleeper over-unders, or for underdog pickums, get your first deposit matched. If you don't hit the link and you just visit them, you can also use promo code DraftSharks to get that deposit match 100% up to $100. Give yourself a reason to care about tonight's game, even if you don't have any fantasy outcome riding on it. Or if you do, hedge. Take the Adam route and hedge. Um, then it's on to week 14. Of course, you got six teams on by for the league's final week of buys. Very important week. 
for fantasy football leagues everywhere. So be looking for the rankings. They will come out midday Tuesday. As always, we'll have quarterback streaming options. We'll be talking about the defenses that you can pick up both for that week and the weeks beyond as you set up for your fantasy playoffs. And of course, the free agent finders live right now to help you with any week, whatever you need. You can sort by rest of season, current week, next week. You can check in on every single league that you play in, find out who's available, find out who we say you should pick up. I appreciate having Mike Shope with me in place of Adam on today's show. Look forward to talking to Mike and Adam again, um, both on this show and then as we get into our playoff strategy and all that after the season. For Mike Shope and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shouse saying thanks so much for swimming with us.